When I was 16 years old, it was spring, I had just gotten out of track practice, and I had my driver's license. I was speeding home, music blaring, and then I saw the lights behind me. In just a few seconds, all that feeling of freedom of being 16 and driving fast disappeared. I felt my stomach get up into my throat, my palms started sweating. Anybody know this feeling when a police officer pulls you over? All the freedom just disappeared. Walked up to my window, and after a series of yes sirs and no sirs, I saw him take my license, go back to his vehicle, and then make the slow walk. It was more of a swagger back to my car with the clipboard of doom. Now, as intimidating as the officer was and as scared as I was, I was more scared of what my parents were going to do when I got home with that ticket. And then the officer completely shocked me. I'd been doing 50 in a 35, which is pretty fast. And he says to me, Son, slow down next time. Consider this a warning. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Consider this a warning. He totally let me off. And it took a while like for me to actually get going again. I was just... Scared, but once I got on the road and I was doing closer to the speed limit, um, the freedom I felt at that point was far greater than anything I had felt previously when I was going 50 in the 35. The, the feeling of freedom from forgiveness, from forgiveness. All of a sudden I could breathe again. This evening we're going to be exploring the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, week five in our six week series. We're going to be looking at what it means to pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now earlier on in this series, we've prayed the prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and we learned that actually in that prayer, one of the things that we're, our hearts are probably crying out is, Lord, protect us from our will. Because any time we do our will and it doesn't line up with God's will, oh, it gets us into trouble. Now, Jesus, the one who taught us to pray this prayer, is not naive. And He knows there's plenty of times in our life when we simply don't do God's will and we do our will. Which is why we need to ask, Please, forgive us our debts. Please, forgive us. Before we can move forward today, though, I think we need to look at two words. We need to really understand forgiveness and debt. Why these two words? What does Jesus mean by these words? So, this first word is forgiveness. And believe it or not, in Jesus' day, the word forgiveness actually had more connotation with the marketplace, with the business world. And they would use that word when they were talking about wiping a debt clean, erasing the numbers on a ledger, basically settling accounts, forgiveness, wiping clean. But forgiveness was much more than just a monetary word. Forgiveness deals with three qualities. And you've probably heard this before, but let me refresh your memory. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice, of course, is getting what you deserve. Getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
And grace is getting more than you deserve in a good way. Not in a bad way. So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting more than you deserve. Now, back to the police officer and my speeding incident. I deserved justice. I deserved a ticket. Probably a pretty big ticket for a 50 and a 35. But what I received was mercy, didn't I? Because the officer let me go. He didn't give me what I deserved. Now, what he did probably do when he walked back to his car was enter my name into his computer. And so that the next time I got pulled over, they would see, oh, this guy's done this before. See, then I kind of have some sort of record going. That's mercy. If the officer would have had grace, my record would be spotless. And he would have filled up my tank with gas. <laughs> it would have, grace is getting more than you deserve. It goes beyond mercy. It goes beyond mercy. The forgiveness we're asking from God goes beyond mercy as well. It's asking God not just to let us off the hook or to excuse us for doing wrong. It's asking God to look at us with new eyes. As if we had never done the wrong. That's powerful. To see us as having clean slates. To accept us into God's family, even though we don't deserve it. That's what we're asking for. And forgive us our debts. But forgiveness, forgiveness from what? What is debt? And why do we use that word? Why, and maybe you're asking, Chris, why are you using that word? In my translation, it says trespasses, or it says transgressions, or it says sin. Why debt? Why debt? Well, there are choices of how to translate this passage. and Well, let's just talk about that. First, let's deal with why not the word sin. The word sin in the Greek language is hamartia. Hamartia. Just, I know it's Labor Day. Everyone just want to say hamartia with me? It'll be, hamartia, yes. Hamartia is frequent in Scripture. And it generally deals with when we do something against God and... Marginally, when we do things against people as well. Because when we sin against other people, it is a sin against God. Right? Because everyone's made in God's image. Hamartia is when I sin against God. And that's used a lot in Scripture. Now, this other word, transgressions, is a different Greek word. It's, this is a fun one, peripatoma. It's not a tuma. Peripatoma. Just, okay. Say peripatoma. Parapatoma. This means transgressions. This is actually the same word we find just a few verses later in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, their parapatomas, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your parapatomas. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It's parapatoma. Now, parapatoma, this word that often is translated transgressions, is generally used in Scripture where we sin against another person. Where I harm you, you harm me, this kind of thing. Okay? But in verse 12, in the Lord's Prayer, where it says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That word for debt is not hamartia, and it's not parapatoma. It's afelamata. <laughs> Don't even try that one. Afelamata. Afelamata. It occurs twice in verse 12. And nowhere else in Scripture... It occurs twice in verse 12 and nowhere else in that same form in Scripture. 
And just like the word forgiveness, guess where it comes from? It comes from the marketplace, the business sector in Jesus' day. Most narrowly then, it means simply debt, financial debt. But it could also refer to a person's moral or ethical responsibility. Moral or ethical responsibility. So the reason I think that the word debt is used here is because it's much more holistic than just sin or just transgression. It includes everything that we do against God, against other people, and even when we get into trouble financially. Forgive us our entire debt. So, what is this debt that we're praying to be forgiven from? What is this debt we owe God? Daryl Johnson says it in one word. The core of it is a debt of obedience. A debt of obedience. We are made to live in relationship with God and in good, loving relationship with other people. God our Father has our best interests in mind. And when we do not trust Him, when we do not play out our lives in obedience to Him, that creates a debt or a sin. He's laid out these incredible guidelines to help us follow Him, to help us trust Him. An example would be the Ten Commandments, but even more closely related to the Lord's Prayer is the Sermon on the Mount. We've said this week after week that the Lord's Prayer is actually in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So the immediate context for what debt would be would be not living up to the Sermon on the Mount. And there's two ways that we sin or create debt. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are those things that we do. So, in relation to the Sermon on the Mount, when we harbor anger against another person, when we harbor bitterness, we are doing a sin of commission. When we commit adultery, even if it's just by lusting after other people. When we try and look religious, to get pats on the back from other people, but we fail to serve selflessly, sin of commission. And when we're judgmental towards others. These are examples of active ways that we can create this barrier between us and God, create this debt. Sins of omission, on the other hand, are things that we fail to do. So again, in relation to the Sermon on the Mount, when we fail to live up to our marriage vows, or when we don't follow through on promises, when we fail to extend our, uh, our possessions to those in need, and when we simply withhold love, these are all things that create a debt, create a space between us and God. Now, I don't know about you, but I just read those few things. Those are just small examples, and I realize that I've got some pretty serious sin in my life. There are ways that I have made mistakes in these areas just this week. And it's not popular to talk about debt. It's not talk, popular to talk about sin. And because it's not popular in our culture, it's also not popular to talk about forgiveness. You know what's a nice word that we like to use in our culture is tolerance. It sounds like such a nice word, and everyone can just get along if we tolerate each other. But while it sounds nice, let me just say a few strong things about tolerance. I think that it's actually a weak and dehumanizing word. It's a weak and dehumanizing word, and let me tell you why. What if all Corey had for me was tolerance? 
What if all she had for, had for me was tolerance? We're celebrating our anniversary this weekend. And uh, for 12 years, she has put up with me. And uh, what if every time I sinned against her, she remained bitter and angry, but just tolerated my presence in the house? N.T. Wright sums up tolerance like this. Tolerance at its best is a low-grade parody of forgiveness. At its worst, it's a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. Tolerance at its best is a low-grade parody of forgiveness. At its worst, it's a way of sweeping the real issues of human life under the carpet. Tolerance never deals with reality. When we tolerate someone else, we maintain the upper hand. When we tolerate someone else, we maintain our power over them. To tolerate is not to love or respect. It's to hold someone at a distance. And say, you do what you do as long as you don't encroach on my space. Forgiveness, on the other hand, recognizes that a sin has been committed. That trust has been broken. That there is a hurt and a pain. And then forgiveness chooses to say, I love you anyway. I love you anyway. I will choose to look at the ugliness of sin right in the face and yet treat you with love and respect. Now, just think how crazy this prayer actually is. Jesus tells us tells us to say to God, who is perfect in every way, forgive us our debts. <clears throat> Wipe our slates clean. Restore relationship with us even though we don't deserve it. That is amazing. How can we possibly pray this prayer? What right do we have to pray this prayer? I mean, can you imagine walking into your lender and saying, forgive me my debt, even though you signed the dotted line, you got yourself into debt? They would just laugh at you. But when I look at my life against the Sermon on the Mount, and I realize all the different ways that I've hurt people and broken my relationship with God, how can I possibly just pray to the Father, forgive me? Well, here's why. Here's how we can do that. One reason... The one who teaches us to pray this has already paid our debt. Jesus teaches us to pray this. And He can tell us to pray this with confidence because He's already paid our debt. He died on a cross for our debt. And this is what I call ridiculous grace. That's why that's the name of this sermon. Ridiculous literally means causing or being worthy of ridicule. Causing or being worthy of ridicule. What kind of God would create human beings? Be repeatedly ignored, offended, sinned against, and then volunteer to to pay their collective debt. Ridiculous. The Romans who crucified Jesus ridiculed Him. 
The Jewish leaders who helped persecute Him and watched Him die on a cross ridiculed Jesus. But praise God that you and I are recipients of such ridiculous grace, right? Just to show how ridiculous God's grace is, Jesus tells a story, a made-up story that Wayne read earlier. He talks about this king who is going to settle debts with his slaves. The first slave comes up to the king and he owes the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, any first century reader who read this story would have busted out laughing. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of money. I can't even get my head around it. If you think about uh, this guy Bernard Madoff, who uh, just this last year swindled people out of $50 billion. Now he's in prison. Imagine trying to pay back $50 billion. I can't even imagine what that looks like. Now, 10,000 talents is actually more than $50 billion. One talent equaled a year's wages for a, a typical laborer. Okay? So he, this guy owes the king over 55 million days worth of work. Over 55 million days of work. You know much, how much money the king could get for selling this guy? At most, one talent. Ridiculous debt. And the servant grovels. He's penitent. He comes to the king. He admits his situation. And the king doesn't just show him mercy. Doesn't just wipe the debt clean. But he lets him go free. You know, the king shows ridiculous grace. You know why? Remember, ridiculous? Worthy of ridicule? Any of this king's advisors and peers are going to laugh at him and ridicule him for letting this man go. You just don't let people go. You make examples of them, right? You have them executed. You throw them in prison. You sell his wife and kids off as slaves. This king lets the man go free. Ridiculous grace. Our Father is like that king. Our king, uh, that king is like our father. We are allowed... No. We are told to pray this prayer. Jesus tells us not just to ask God that He forgive us our debt. This is, again, this is in the imperative. He tells us to respectfully but boldly go to God and say, Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for our debt. And you remember the hour in the beginning of this prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. It's a plural prayer. We cannot just pray this prayer for ourselves. So, we pray as a church. One idea is when you pray this prayer, you can pray thinking of part of the church. Not just Lettered Streets Covenant Church, but the large church. And we could pray things like this. Father, forgive us for hoarding your good news. Forgive us for internal fighting. Forgive us for fear and selfishness. For seeking our agenda over yours. And we might as well pray as a nation when we pray this prayer. Father, would you forgive us when we abuse our power? Would you forgive us for holding financial debt over countries that are starving and for digging our own financial debt deeper and deeper? Father, would you forgive us for placing our comfort in needs or our comfort over the needs of others? 
Father, would you forgive us for our arrogance and not recognizing your hand and all the blessings we have? And we can pray this prayer as a race, as a species. Father, forgive us for abusing your planet and for trusting in ourselves over you. Forgive us as human beings for looking out for number one instead of looking out for each other. Sometimes we can just keep this prayer at that large level. And it can, it can become easy and routine. But now we also need to take this prayer to a personal level. Father, forgive me for failing to trust You. Forgive me for hurting others. Sometimes it can feel like we have said things and done things and not done things that are too horrific for anyone to forgive. Even if you have been following Jesus for a long time and you get this whole forgiveness thing and you get this cross thing, you could still have a place in your heart you're not willing to let God forgive. But remember Jesus' story of a guy who owed more money than physically existed in Jesus' day. 10,000 talents, you couldn't find 10,000 talents. That ridiculous grace is available to you. And so, I wonder if we should ask ourselves this. Are there any sins in my life that I refuse to be forgiven for? Are there any sins in my life that I am refusing to be forgiven? Why? Why? Why do I struggle with God's forgiveness? That could be a powerful question for you to chew on over the week. Because it's only when we accept God's forgiveness that we can engage in the next part of this prayer. Forgive us our debts, just as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does this mean? Is this forgive us our debts to the same degree as we forgive our debtors? Is it forgive us our debts only if we forgive our debtors? Well, this is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that has a little extra commentary. I read it earlier, I'll read it again. Matthew six fourteen and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So what is this? Is this conditional? Is it working for forgiveness? Let me say clearly, and this is in Spanish too, no. No. We do not earn forgiveness. We've established that forgiveness is a grace, and if it's a grace, then by its very nature it can't be earned, and this is not bribery either, because trust me, trust me, we do not have what it takes in the bank to bribe God. 
that would be uh, you know ridiculous ungrace or something like that, and we don't have that. And in that statement, in the fact that we cannot pay the debt, that lies the kernel of the answer. Because when we truly understand our debt and the fact that God still forgives us, that's what empowers us to forgive other people. We too will be recipients of ridicule because we'll be dispensing ridiculous grace. Right? That's not normal in our culture. Think about the, the Amish people in 2006 that the gunmen came in, lined up their children, I believe killed 17 children. Those people mourned. But the gunman took his own life. You know what those Amish folks did? They surrounded the family of the man who gunned their kids down. They wept with his grieving wife. And in the presence of the man's own children, they said, we forgive your father. Do you know why that made front page news? Trust me, the New York Times is not buttering up to the Amish. It's because that kind of grace is ridiculous. Who does that? Who does that? We're called to do that. Our God does that. Jesus talks about it in His parable. The man who had been forgiven... 10,000 talents of debt is leaving. He's in, Jesus makes it clear that he's in the process of leaving the king's court. He bumps into this other servant, a peer of his, uh, just a, a peer. He has no power over this guy. The guy owed him a mere 100 denarius. You know how much that is? 100 days of work. No big deal. 100 days work. The guy says, Forgive me. Have patience with me. I will pay it back. And this wicked slave says, No, I'm throwing you in prison. Now here's why that is such a a death sentence. Because in prison, the slave who owed him a hundred denarius would have no ability to earn any money. So he would sit in prison forever unless somebody else, out of their own kindness, paid his way out. A hundred days wages. That's a millionth of what the first man owed. And by his very action, you can see that he didn't really understand grace. Instead of canceling the debt or even allowing his fellow slave to pay it off, he puts him right into prison. So here's what I think is going on when it says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. John Stott says, God forgives only the penitent, those who are really sorry. And one of the chief evidences of penitence is forgiving others. One of the chief evidences that I get forgiveness is that I in turn forgive others. God forgives those who are genuinely sorry, not just sorry they got caught. When you're truly sorry that, and you have been forgiven, it makes you a much more forgiving person. Dallas Willard writes, 
It's psychologically impossible for us to know God's pity for us and at the same time be hard-hearted towards others. Psychologically impossible. So here's a bold statement. But no matter what words we pray, if we pray verbatim the Lord's Prayer, no matter what words we pray, we are not really asking for forgiveness if we don't forgive other people. Because we don't know what forgiveness is yet. We might be asking God to excuse us, but we are not asking for forgiveness. If we cannot forgive others, we don't really get how much God has forgiven us. This is something I've been wrestling with this week, and trust me, in preparing these messages, I, I get beat up probably worse than you do. How many people do we have locked up in prison, doomed to our anger and judgment, because we refuse to forgive. How many people have we put in prison, subjected them to our anger and judgment because we've refused to forgive? Let me tell you, it's a hard life to be a jailer. It's a hard life to be a jailer. And please hear me. The reality is that many of us hold deep wounds. Horrendous wounds. Things that I cannot imagine. Some find themselves simply unable to forgive. Others wish they could forgive, but the person they want to forgive doesn't care. Forgiveness is complicated. It's not easy. And that's why it takes ridiculous grace. It took Jesus going to the cross. One person wrote, we are never more like God than when we forgive. I mean, that's, that's a huge statement. So, oh, I am not saying this is easy. And I do not discount your wounds. And I think the call for us today is, can we move a step closer toward forgiveness? God knows the depths of our heart. He knows exactly where you're at. And He is so gracious. He's so gentle with us. You know, and forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that we trust a person in the same way that we used to. It doesn't even guarantee that the other person will care if we forgive them or respond to us. After all, how many people in this world don't respond to God's forgiveness? But here's something to consider. Lewis Smedes wrote, forgive, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner is you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to realize that the prisoner is you. Remember, at the heart of this prayer, we're praying to our Abba Father who has our best interests in mind who has our best interests in mind. So maybe you're here this evening and you're dealing with great pain inflicted by somebody else. You can't even imagine forgiving them. Then let your prayer be, Father, show me afresh your grace. Help me to want to forgive this person. If that's all, if that's where you're at right now, that's a valid prayer. 
Father, help me to want to forgive this person. And all of us, all of us could ask ourselves, whom do I struggle or refuse to forgive? Why? What am I gaining by keeping this grudge? What need is it satisfying in me? So there's a car speeding down the road going 50 in a 35. He gets pulled over. And the officer steps out. Where are you this evening? Are you the speeder? Are you the officer? If you're like me, you may be a little of both. I know this, wherever you are, Jesus already knows. He knows our hearts. Whatever shame you might have, bitterness, anger, whatever's lying within your heart, God is ridiculously gracious enough to handle it. I want to invite us to a time of silence where we can bring our shame before God if we need forgiveness, where we can bring others before God in our hearts if we need to do some forgiving ourselves. And actually what I'm going to do is transition us into a time of prayers of healing. So here's how this can go. You can pray silently right where you're sitting. You can grab a neighbor and pray with them. Or Joan and I will be up here and you can come forward and just share. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's some, you need some help being forgiven. Maybe you'd like to forgive someone else. Maybe you have a physical ailment or an emotional thing you're going through right now. Whatever it is, you can come and be anointed with oil and prayed for at one of these kneeling benches and the church will support you in that. And again, feel free also just to stay seated where you're at. Um, and, you know, Brian and Jeannie, I know you guys are going to play some music for us, but, hey, we're a family, so if you guys would like to come for prayer first, forget the music. You guys too. Hey, Nathaniel. Um, so, let this be a comma on the sermon, and let's go to a time of prayer.